It's important to realize that the breath or any other method to get concentrated is nothing but a method. It's not the meditation yet. If we think of the breath as our method, we should think of it as a key. Have to keep that key in your hand long enough, steady enough to fit it into the keyhole. And once you fit it into the keyhole, you can unlock the door. Once you've done that, you obviously don't need the key anymore. You can enter the room. That's the method. It's the key. And you've got to have it steady enough, long enough, so that it can be used for exactly that, to unlock the door. When it unlocks the door, it unlocks it to, figuratively speaking, a mansion with eight chambers, which are all sitting inside of, of ourselves. And as we open the door, we get, so to say, into the entry, the um, foyer, it's not the house yet. And having got in there, Obviously, we should and could be able to get into all the other rooms. The point at which I stopped this morning and which I'm starting at now is the point of unlocking the door. We have talked about the initial application getting on to the breath, the sustained application, staying with the breath. Having had it, having had this key now in hand long enough, we use it for just that one purpose that it was meant for. Surely nobody has ever thought, or maybe everybody has thought, that if one meditates for the rest of one's life, One's going to watch the breath for the rest of one's life. Doesn't sound terribly interesting, does it? And because people probably think that, I don't know whether they do or not, that's why they don't continue with it. That's why most of those sheets that I get in the courses have at the bottom where it says remarks, it says off and on, or haven't done anything in months, but would like to. It doesn't seem to have any real inducement to do it if one can think of having to watch this breath for the rest of one's life. Well, one doesn't. It's just, as I said, the key. Now, having actually been successful in getting that door unlocked, it appears in practice that the breath becomes very fine 
At times it may appear as if the breath has disappeared. And when that happens for the first time, a person may get worried about it or afraid and quickly start breathing heavily because such a person might think that their breath is uh, getting lost somewhere and then the verge of dying or something like that may not be a conscious thought but this fear can show itself in starting to breathe heavily it can also show itself in instead of using this ability to unlock the door to start trying to look for the key again it has become so fine the breath so now I must start looking for it. Where has it gone? Not only does it stop the concentration completely because the thought process has arisen, but also it's absurd. But unfortunately, without guidance, this is what happens very often. So when it happens that the breath becomes very fine and is hard to find, that is the time when we know now, after having been told, that this is a moment of opening the door to real meditation. That's when meditation starts. And the sign for it, that it has started, is an extremely pleasant feeling. In Pali that's called piti, P-I-T-I. And it's translated as rapture or bliss or um, sometimes also as interest. It's also translated as that. And when we read the words rapture or bliss, we may think that this is something extremely difficult to attain and it's uh, beyond our powers because it sounds quite exalted, doesn't it? Well, it's nothing other than an extremely pleasant feeling. There are many different kinds. Or when I say feeling, you have to realize that this is a physical sensation. There are many different kinds. In the Visuddhi Magga, 17 different kinds are listed. Undoubtedly, there are more than that because one can't um, verbalize them that well, that well. But they um, range from a feeling of utter lightness, the body being totally light um, as opposed to heavy, almost like lifting off the cushion, most certainly not doing that, but uh, it can feel like that as if, it can be like shivers going through the body, tingling, hair standing on end, a very pleasant warmth, a feeling of losing one's boundaries. There's no question when it arises, it's utterly pleasant. One doesn't have to 
come and ask, is it this one or was it like that? It's so pleasant that there's no question in the mind. One knows. The word pleasant may not be quite strong enough, but it's about the best word for this particular experience because all other words that one could think of might put it into a realm of an exalted experience and that it is not. It is the beginning of a change of consciousness but it isn't a change of consciousness yet. So we'll stick to the word pleasant huh? and we'll realize it's sensation and it's happening inside of oneself. So the only thing possibly to remember is when it comes to the point where the breath is hard to find and it's so fine that it's either impossible to find or, or just hard to find, that's the time to switch over, to go inside of oneself. The feeling may be there quite strongly, but there are innumerable people who are searching for the breath at that time which is not the right thing to do, which is like searching for the key after you've opened the door. I hope this is quite clear. Some of your faces look as if it weren't. Shall I say it again? Or is it quite clear? We don't look for the key when we've unlocked the door, right? We don't look for the breath when it is so fine and so um, subtle that we can't find it. Not because we're half asleep that we can't find it, but because we're so concentrated that the mind has become so subtle and so fine that the breath follows suit. Mind and breath are totally connected. When a person is excited, the breath goes quickly. When the person is um, in a hurry, they get out of breath. It goes very heavy, very fast. But when a person is very calm, everything has calmed down. The mind is very calm and fine. The breath is too. So at that time, we go inside ourselves, and attend to the inner sensation. This sensation, while it is physically uh, based, does not mean that we now put our attention on the body. It means we put the attention on the sensation, not on the body wherever it may be, but the sensation is our medita meditation subject. This has a very impressive effect on the person that can do it if it is cultivated with perseverance so that it becomes the usual way of meditation. No longer hit or miss, off and on, now I see it, now I don't, but 
This is the way we meditate. Then it has an extremely beneficial effect. PT counteracts hate and ill will. It counteracts it effectively without having to try. very logical and obvious. If we have extremely good feeling, we feel very well, it's impossible to have ill will. So at the time of meditation, ill will cannot arise. However, it has far more effect than that. Once you become skilled at doing that, and not just have to take potluck but we know how to do it and we realize we do it when we sit down the mind has this as its foundation it knows that it is no longer dependent on outer conditions for this feeling of well-being it's only dependent on inner condition, namely the condition of concentration. It also knows quite clearly that it can get to that point any time it wishes. All it has to do is tell the body to sit down and concentrate. And actually, when the skill has become quite established and mind you it just needs concentration and doesn't even have to sit down and concentrate it can be aroused at will with that as one's background within it's certainly much more difficult to get angry if at all possible because the well-being is firmly established and it has nothing to do with physical aches and pains it has nothing to do with other people's approval or disapproval it has nothing to do whether we can get what we want or get rid of what we don't want. All we have to do is meditate. Nice if you can get it. Anybody can get it. It's a natural abode for the mind. And the... Uh, underlying idea in everybody's mind is to get just there even though one may never have heard of this or have no idea that it exists but there is an underlying longing in everybody's mind to get started on that path exactly a very few people that will say I'm meditating so that I will gain insight 
most people say, I want to meditate so I can get some peace. So that I can have an inner feeling of harmony, if they voice it at all. The yearning, the longing in the mind points naturally in that direction. Again, it is important to stress, and I will continue to stress that, so that this is one point that very few will forget. It's a means, not an end in itself. This is a means for changing the quality of one's mind to where it becomes such that it has no impediments to delve into the depth and profundity of absolute reality. It's a means for that. It isn't the goal or the end. The Buddha compared ill will with a disease where the bile is coming up. When we get angry at someone, it feels unpleasant. And he also compared it to picking up hot coals with one's bare hands and trying to throw them at someone else. Who gets burned first? Whether we ever hit the other person depends on their ability to duck. Whether they react or not, that's their problem. But we are burned first. Anger is not only unpleasant and ill will, it's downright stupid. But that alone doesn't help us to get rid of it. We may agree, we may know, we may be fully in um, fully agreeing to this, accepting it, but it doesn't get rid of it. Outside of the meditative practice, the Buddha advised to use loving kindness as much as one could under circum- all circumstances to counteract ill will. Loving kindness and compassion, which are also cultivated through the loving kindness meditation. But as everybody must know, with the best of intentions, one still gets angry. Things happen that one doesn't like, In fact, the imagination in everybody's mind is of such a nature that we project our own ideas into other people's heads and get upset about what we think they're up to. If that isn't absurd, I don't know what is, but that's the way we are. (laughs) And we have to accept the fact that we are that way. 
And if we can't accept that, of course, then we can't do anything about it. First, we have to see the way we are. So with all good intentions and the best of uh, trying and uh, again and again doing loving-kindness meditation, it still is difficult to modify and um, lessen our anger, our ill will, our irritation, our dislikes and resistances and rejection. And in the beginning of practice, most people justify all that. Later on, when we have practiced a little longer, we don't justify them anymore. We realize, well, we just got angry. We lost our mindfulness. We lost our cool. And we do not blame somebody else. That takes a while to get to that point. But it still doesn't help anything because we're still getting angry. To be able to meditate to the point of at least this very first step into the entry hall of this mansion with eight chambers gives us the handle where the inner feeling is one of either delight or anticipation of delight. Now, obviously, that is not the goal of meditation, but it certainly is the way, the path, it provides us with the joy of the path. It has that as its very first benefit, the joy that comes from that, so that we can no longer be deterred. The next one, of course, is that with the, the inner delight, or the anticipation of inner delight, what is there to get angry about? Most of the time, our anger, if not all of the time, arises because our ego does not feel supported. Somebody is putting us down. It's not giving us what we want. It's giving us what we don't want. It's stepping on our toes making life difficult it's not appreciating how wonderful we are and such things having come to this point in meditation we don't really have to search for somebody else's appreciation we have entered into relationship to our inner being for the first time we've got in touch we've got in touch with that point of purity which will then spread and enlarge so that it eventually will take over and be the whole person this is the first touch point without that we will continue to search for the outer conditions which will bring us pleasure. Now, as I've already said once, and I will now repeat it, 
This does not mean that we will no longer have pleasure from outer conditions. On the contrary, we will have a much less adulterated pleasure. Why is that? Because we're not trying to keep it anymore. It is there and gone without any objection on our part. It always has been like that. It is there and gone. But in the past, we have objected to that. We didn't like it to go away. Now, we can accept that quite easily because we have inner delight. So our enjoyment of outer pleasures, pleasures based on outer conditions, on our sense contact, become much purer because of the lessening of the clinging to them. But primarily, there's something else. We have released energy which we have formerly used for searching for these pleasures, for trying to get them, to either buy them, find them, travel to find them somewhere, find the person to have them with, all sorts of energy-consuming endeavors which have to be repeated over and over again. Now, when we do not have to search for them, the energy is released to go on the path with far more one-pointedness. We have more time and more strength. Much of our time is used again and again for the same things. If we were to keep a diary, a very exact one, and write down what we do every day exactly, and what we liked and what we didn't like, and how we try to get out of that which we didn't like, and try to get what we liked, we will find that it's so repetitious that it's amazing that we're still doing it. Over and over the same thing. But hope is forever burning in our hearts. Hope for real happiness. And since when we don't know a way out of the sense-based pleasure, we have to go in that direction, because we don't know any other, we'll keep on repeating it, with the same results. We have at this point in the meditation entered into a different strata of awareness where we do not have to do this anymore. We do not have to search. We do not have to spend time. We have what we've been looking for. Available for those who become skilled at it on demand. The latter, that it's available on demand, is important. That needs practice continual practice 
This is the path of calm and tranquility. This has to be practiced all the time. Otherwise it gets lost. Naturally, if one has once had it, one gets to it a little easier. But yet, if one stops practicing, one has to start again. With insight, that's not so. An insight once arisen remains as wisdom. The only trouble with it is that one may not be using it. But we do not have to get that same insight again. We've already have it. But calm, we have to keep practicing. We can compare that to yoga exercises. If you do your yoga exercises faithfully, you stretch your muscles and you can touch your toes, you can bend over backward and the body becomes pliable and it can do things which may look quite magical to people who've never tried it. Stop doing that for six months and you've got to start all over again. The muscles have shrunk back to their original limited position. Same with the mind. Keep doing it and the mind has stretched, pliable, and it can do things which seem to be quite magical. They're not. They're the ability of the mind. But stop doing it and all shrinks back again. To start all over again. The uh, benefit is, of course, that the mind that has done it before knows the way. When we get to this point, what we need from a practical standpoint, what we need to do is instead of reacting to it with, goodness, what was that? which stops it immediately and one has to start all over again, instead of that, we need to use a simile, step into it, into that feeling, as if it were a warm bath, where the warm water comfortably and nicely covers us from head to toe. We don't describe this feeling, we can afterward. We don't talk about it in our mind. We don't give a running commentary on it. Or think ourselves so clever that we've got there, but we enjoy it. We use it to be drenched with it. whatever kind of feeling it may be. And, again from a practical standpoint, learn to stay with it for a period that's only a taste that such a thing is possible. But in order to make it beneficial to give us that counteraction for ill will, it has to last 
when it then starts dissolving at whatever moment that happens, we need to watch that dissolution very carefully and realize quite clearly that even the nicest feeling is impermanent. And once we've realized that, we know why the whole of existence is Dukkha. Everybody's very happy when the knees hurt and the bell rings and there's an end to that pain. Very nice that that is impermanent. But the pleasures are the ones we'd like to hang on to. All we have to do is watch them. Watch them dissolve and disappear. And we finally know why the Buddha said the first noble truth is that existence is Dukkha. And our Dukkha arises out of the fact that we don't like impermanence. Only when we would like it to be there, not as a general aspect of existence. We'd like to impose our will upon it. The usual way that humanity is trying to impose its will on the law of nature with disastrous results. Same with us in our small world of the microcosm. We would like impermanence to be when it hurts us. Let it go away quickly. But when it's pleasant, let it stay. Well, it just doesn't work. That's just not the way it is. So when we sit in meditation and we've had this pleasure and we are wise enough to watch its dissolution and finally come to grips with the universality of impermanence, we have gained a, a big step in insight. That happens because at that time the mind is so at ease and quite contented so that it can accept this impermanence quite easily. And it also is, the mind is very calm and meditative so that it doesn't just say, I am impermanent, I knew that all the time anyway, but it can see it in depth. Unless we see truth in depth, it remains a superficial knowledge and not an inner wisdom. After the mind has been calm, collected, happy and harmonious in meditation, that moment of understanding is entirely different from when we talk about it. When we talk about impermanence, very few people argue, even then some people argue, but very few. 
she says, sure, everything's impermanent. So what else is new? Everybody knows it, nobody lives it. After having had the experience in meditation, this is one of the most important aspects of realization. The second step, after that impermanence has been seen, is recollection or recapitulation. To in one's mind to go through the whole pathway once more and then realize every step one has taken on the way so that one can easily do it again. Unless we have that recapitulation, we won't know what to do. Then we are still on this often on affair. One time it happens and one time it doesn't. But when we have a recapitulation, we will find those most important aspects which help us to get into the concentrated state. That's a problem. What are you talking about? Yeah, sure. Of course. This recapitulation has to go back to the moment of coming into the meditation hall or even before that. Have I eaten more or less? Have I talked? Have I been mindful on the way to the hall? Have I sat differently? Have I used a different sitting position? Have I started my meditation differently? Did I use loving kindness meditation? Did I not use it? Did I go to the breath? Did I use it with counting or without? Did I keep my body in a different position? Any little thing. If the meditation has been successful, and that goes for any successful meditation, even without having entered into this first state of touching upon the purity of the heart, any time meditation has become successful in apostrophes, when one is satisfied with it, it was better than before, more concentrated, recapitulate, what did I do? So that certain facets of one's actions and thoughts come together as necessary ingredients which make it possible to be Interestingly enough, practically every meditator finds their own personal figure. Some of them are very odd. doesn't matter. Whatever it is, it's fine if it works. It can have a... The body uh, posture can have a lot to do with it. But mostly, 
It's a mind posture. But everyone should, after a good meditation trip, particularly, of course, after having entered into the first uh, step of um, absorption, recollect and recapitulate and find out what is the most important thing that I did differently this time. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be anything to do with meditation. It can have some, it can be a very physical thing. It can be something that is um, uh, totally unconnected. It may be a particular thought pattern. It may be something devotional, if one is that way inclined. In Sri Lanka, where I lived for ten years, and where people are very devotionally inclined, many of the women that meditated with me used the devotional um, saying about the Buddha to start their meditation with, and found that brought them peace, because they know all those things by heart. That is for somebody like that. There are other... One has to find out for oneself what it is that does it. Because if one does find out, it's like having a clear pathway. One's no longer meandering through the forest in the dark, hoping that one's going to find uh, the, the place that one is looking for but one has actually found the path that leads one to exactly there where one is going. This is very important because then one can always do it. It takes a little time, patience, determination, and perseverance. Without those three, nothing ever happens, whether meditation or otherwise. So this is the, the practical aspect and when it arises for the first time, or even several times, and it only stays a moment, that's not due to the sensation, that's due to the concentration. The mind is not concentrated enough to stay with it. And There's often the question, how to do this? Well, the fault which arises, the biggest obstacle at that moment is that the mind is not going into this feeling as if stepping into a warm bath, but is thinking about the feeling. And at that moment it's finished. There's only one thing to do with it, and that's experiencing the feeling, not thinking about it. After one has seen its impermanence and has recapitulated, it's fine to think about it. However, that too is not necessary. One can go right back and start all over again. And that's necessary so that it becomes a practiced and um, well-known pathway so that one has that assurance within 
that one can always go there. That assurance makes the mind at ease, gives it um, its protection in the stress and strain of daily living. No matter where one lives, no matter what one does, everybody experiences stress and strain. It's impossible to escape from that already because we all have a body and this body has constant demands and is hardly ever satisfied. That alone already provides stress and strain. But there are others, of course. So when we have the assurance that this is something we can go back to, the mind already feels much relieved, much protected. The Buddha compared the water pond for ill will with one where the wind is blowing so strongly that the water has high waves and we can't see our likeness. I'm sure we've all experienced that, that when we get angry, all we know is anger, nothing else. We forget in the end what we're angry about. That's also another feature that one gets angry about one thing and starts yelling about something else. We don't see ourselves anymore. It is a dis-ease. There's no ease inside. Now the... One has to work at that, of course, in daily living. But we know that there is something. It's not as tedious anymore as it was. And also, we can understand from our own experience the difference now between the sense pleasure and the inner happiness. The inner happiness is the next of the five factors. I have to tell you tomorrow because it's getting late. And... Um, the first three factors, initial application, sustained application, and then the changeover to the delight. The last two factors I'll explain to you in the morning. If you have any questions, you can ask them now. Yes. <coughs> Whatever was going on. Mm. Um, I, there were no thoughts there, but there was just, 
The minute you can hear that stuff, you can also detect the breath. Uh, that state of mind is exactly the same. But when you became concentrated to the point where you couldn't find the breath, and then were not aware of any feeling, that moment of concentration was too short. It was just like that. If it had uh, lasted just a moment longer, you would have become aware of that feeling. You see, the feeling is always there. That sensation always exists. We don't put it in there. It's always there. It's dependent upon becoming and getting in touch with it, and it's dependent upon our own purity. So everybody's got it. But the concentration has to be just long enough to get in there. See, the moment you didn't find the breath, the mind probably said, no breath. Finished. All gone. The whole thing gone. The mind must not be allowed to say anything. It must be allowed to experience. You see, this is a substitute for breath. Were you able to hear sound without explaining cricket? <laughs> well, I was told that too, but I don't believe it. <laughs> yes, that's uh, very important to realize what our minds always do. I, I don't believe that these are frogs because I know frogs differently. <laughs> But if you can hear sound only, that would be very helpful also if you're meditating in a noisy place. Because the moment you can hear sound only, the mind is free. And the, the, because the, it's just the hearing, and when the mind is free, it can meditate. So at that time, you could have gone back to the breath. Frank, I don't know what. What was that? When you have the first experience, then what? Yeah. Are the, are the others the same? Oh, um, no way to tell. Sometimes the first one is mild and they get stronger. And sometimes the first one is strong and others are milder. Um, it can be anything. And it can be different sensations. It doesn't have to be the same sensation. You see, you can have one sensation at one session and a totally different one at another one. Although eventually it sort of boils down to two or three different ones usually, or even one. But the mildness or the strength of it can be changing from sitting to sitting.
And when it's mild, hardly noticeable, it's just a matter of concentration to become more aware of it because we don't want to stay there. We're only, we're only passing through that entry hall. We're not going to live in that entry hall. So we want to know all about it and then go on. And I'll talk about that tomorrow morning. What else? You got to bite into the mango. just got to do it. You can't think it out. What have I been telling you for, for years? <laughs> you, get your, you get your attention on the sensation. Have a warm bath. <laughs> what else? No, any motive is all right as long as you meditate. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> because if we keep on medi- meditating, we can't help but gaining calm and insight if we keep doing it. It's just a matter of doing it. So any motive is fine. Even a headache is good enough. <laughs> what else? Yes. Sound only. Hmm. Well, I'm going to call these things crickets, if you pardon me, because that's what I've got in my mind, that they're crickets, okay? Right. Okay, when you hear this and your mind says, these are crickets, or the mind just says, cricket concert, and then, of course, after that, the mind will say, um, I can't meditate, it's too noisy for me. Or uh, even in the forest they've got noise. Or whatever it is that the mind tells you, that's the usual natural way of being. The ear can only hear sound, the mind explains it. So in order to first of all become aware of that and secondly to be able to meditate, you have to stop the mind from saying cricket concert. Sound only not easy. The mind will constantly want to say something, but to constantly stop it until you become very skilled at that. And you can meditate in the biggest noise, but that's not easy. Um, 
I, I said you don't have to because when your mind is able to uh, stop from explaining it and it's sound only, no longer cricket concert, you can easily go back to the breath. The mind is free, it's not engaged. If the mind wants to use that as a meditation subject, it is interested in it. It thinks, ah, oh, that sounds quite nice, maybe I could use that, maybe I'll get more concentration that way. You know, it tells stories again. But the minute you can use sound only, you can go back to the breath. Mind is, is not busy. Yes. In the meditation, well, <laughs> it can be two reasons. You can be in the fourth jhana or be deaf. What? Sorry? That's right. That's right. Yes, it's uh, it's not annoying at all. It's uh, it just uh, keeps going. No, now that we talk about it, we can hear it. But when we um, were talking, when I was giving a talk earlier, and we didn't mention them, I'm sure they were not bothering anyone. And when we are sitting, when we're in meditation, and we try to be concentrated, it's sort of like a background noise. It isn't. It isn't uh, obnoxious or anything. So um, it sh should hardly ever intrude. The mind gets um, uh, sort of agitated. Then it goes to that. Then it goes to those outside noises. Naturally, if there was one big bang, that everybody would hear. But something like that is it's, uh, actually it's quite pleasant. Pleasant background noise. But even in the meditative absorptions, including the third step, we hear sound. If the mind um, is um, absorbed even in the feeling, there's still sound to be heard. It's only in the fourth uh, absorption that sound is totally cut out. So it's not surprising that we sometimes hear it, but it shouldn't be uh, a bother. Yes. Yes. When, in order to become master of them, one has to be conscious of going through them. One has to be able to get in at will to stay in as long as one wants, know every step of them, and come out when one wants to. In other words, be totally uh, clear of what is happening. And eventually, if there's something that's called playing with the jhanas, that means jumping from one to eight, from to three to four, and that sort of thing, jumping around. It uh, um, means that the mind is very agile, has a great facility for concentration and um, can be helpful, but it's not a 
meditation practice which needs to be done for a long time. But one has to know every step, yes. Well, first of all, you shouldn't look for anything anyway. And uh, confusion is rampant. I wouldn't be anything new. I mean, confusion is, is the, the order of the day. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yes, it's possible to go to another step without having gone through that. If it's a true jhana, it goes through that. But uh, it may touch upon something else, yes, quite possible. But uh, that would be quite a pleasure if it happens. Sometimes uh, people do go quite involuntarily into much uh, more uh, elevated states of consciousness without having learned even meditation also possible and then they are quite uh, upset excited fearful anxious all the rest of it I need someone to explain it nothing else yes uh, Piti is not joy, Sukha is joy. Piti is definitely a sensation and not an emotion. It's a sensation and one has to be really clear on what one is experiencing. Only the understood experience is of any use whatsoever. So, uh, uh, well, all I can say again is get that mango and bite into it and you'll know. How can you be, how can a sensation that's different from any other be explained to someone who hasn't had that sensation? The words which are used are rapture, bliss, delight. That's about as good as one can do it. And these are sensation. We're in the entry hall, and that's the entry hall of sensation. The next step is short. The emotion. Well, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get at is if we're trying to practice mindfulness in daily life, uh, is it possible to have these experiences in daily life? If one is a practice meditator and has come to that stage at least in meditation, to that point of pity, you can experience it in daily life anytime you want to. Just by wanting it. Just by doing it. Just by wanting to be there. But if one hasn't done it in meditation, the possibility always exists that somebody might hit upon it accidentally. But I can't really say. It's an accident, yes, it could happen. 
certainly anything is possible. He said in meditation. Yes. It's not uncommon for small children to do it. But, uh, of course, they don't know what they're doing. He wasn't that small. He was 12. And he sat down to meditate. And he he got into the jhanas. But uh, it is possible, yes. I've had cases where some people have actually had the arupas, the non-material jhanas without ever having meditated and not knowing what they were experiencing. And uh, some of these people never found anybody to explain it to them. It took 30 years to find somebody to explain it. It's very rare. And also it's very useless because only the understood experience is of any use. The only thing that's useful is if it's done in in a meditative sequence. And if one knows what it's for and what to do with it, then it's useful. For the Buddha it wasn't so useless because he came to some meditation teachers at the age of 29. So that was um, 17 years later. Well, that's a long time too. But um, at least he had the ability. Maybe those people that had accidentally touched upon these stages, states, um, found it easier than yes they found it easier to have that meditation experience without all this um, uh, painfulness of trying to watch the breath and to sit and to get concentrated for the people who have accidentally touched upon it it's much easier to get into the jhanas into the meditative absorption so it does have that benefit but at the time, until they get the explanation, the whole thing is not helpful to them. But it's helpful to them when they then start to meditate. And that's helpful. Anything else? Please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. Think of yourself as your own best friend. Fill yourself with friendship, care and concern. Surround yourself with love. and the helpfulness that a best friend would give.
Think of yourself as the best friend of the person sitting nearest you in this hall. Fill him or her with sincerity and depth of friendship, warmth, care, appreciation, helpfulness. And surround him or her with the love that a best friend would offer. Think of yourself as the best friend of everyone here. Embrace everyone in friendship. Feel connected in friendship with everyone, appreciative, caring, concerned, and helpful. Think of yourself as the best friend of your parents. Embrace them in friendship. Fill them with your care and concern. Surround them with your love. Think of yourself as the best friend of your nearest and dearest people. Filling them with the depth and sincerity of your friendship, the warmth, the care, the concern. Surround them with the love that a best friend 
has to give. Think of yourself as the best friend of all your friends, the one who cares. Fill them with that warmth and care. Surround them and embrace them with the depth and sincerity and warmth of your friendship. Think of yourself as the best friend of your neighbors, the people you work with, the people you meet on the street, in the shops. Embrace them in friendship, fill them with care and concern. Let them know that you feel this connection with them. Think of anyone whom you find difficult. Be the best friend of that person too. Helpful and caring. Full of love and compassion. Give that person too the gift of your heart.
think of all the people whose lives are far more difficult than ours. In hospital, in prison, in refugee camps, hungry, blind, crippled, without shelter, without friends. Be their best friend. Fill them with your care, your concern, your helpfulness. Let them feel the warmth from your heart. Extend that friendship to yourself. Being aware that you can make yourself happy or unhappy. And as a good friend to yourself, you would take care to protect your own happiness. Fill yourself with that care. The warmth comes from a best friend. Surround yourself with it. Feeling at ease and secure. May beings everywhere be friends with each other. <laughs> 